I think I'm averaging in my five games I played this season six. Cut away. Cut away for four. Carlos Remember the name. And my goodness, it's gone way down to Swansea. I was sat in the cabinet room and I was like hosting me on meeting. The big man, the fridge is open. He's flown like a gazelle. What can Chris Gale do? He goes low. Oh, you're right. You've got a man beside you. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Hello everyone and welcome to The Wrong and I'm Bertie Moores on one laptop and at the other at his girlfriend's house is a pretty hungover Max Parry. Hello. Hello. Yes, I'm feeling somewhat worse for wear. The vice beer, the 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 vice beer got the better of me last night in the South the London Sun. Who's been drinking on a Wednesday night? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, my 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 university course is now done. Unemployment is um well, I wouldn't say it's treating me well, but you know, I've been getting drunk in the day. So make about what you will. And you've had enough time to watch virtually. All of a uh, of a one off ODI series uh, game between England and Ireland. Well, more like I- England one point fives and Ireland in front of an empty ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, as I say, you know, unemployment's quite good, really. Yeah, there, um, there are some positives, but that could be construed as a negative in other ways. Yes, and I, and I think it's a very short termist outlook. I can't imagine. Well, you know. The, the 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 job hunt is only getting more um, more pressing, shall we say? Yes. So you suggested after the pod going silent during the entirety of the Western East Test series, what if we come back for every single game of the Irish ODI series? And look, here we are now covering the big one. Yeah, well, it's only fitting, you know. Uh, why why you know why cover? A the first test series back after a global pandemic in the detail it deserves when you can cover a meaningless ODI series in far more uh, rigorous detail. Um, I think ultimately that's what listeners across the globe are probably pining for. Am I, am I wrong? I don't think I am. Yeah, you can say probably. We'll never have definitive evidence, but we can always suppose that that's true. Round one, despite a slight wobble for England, proved to be in the end a relatively straightforward sort of pedestrian victory, would you say? Yeah. It, I mean, look, when we were chatting before, um, during the, during Ireland's innings, when they were 28 for five or whatever it was, uh, we were talking about doing an early record, potentially, because I thought the way Willie started with the ball up top, he was excellent. They just, it, it really looked like it would be quite an embarrassing, foregone conclusion of a victory. And in the end, it was. But, I, you know, I mean, Curtis Camper, we're going to talk about him, I'm sure really, you know, made a fist of Ireland's innings. And, and, you know, when Banton got out, I didn't think, I didn't really for a second believe England would fail to win. But it made it interesting for sure. And, you know, in the end, Owen Owen Morgan did what Owen Morgan does. Um, And, you know, Sam Billings, really big runs for him. Really big runs. Yeah, and we'll get on to him and David Willey in a little bit. But looking at the series... Sort of, we didn't do a preview, so looking at the series as an overall thing, it's very much England's 1.5s, isn't it? And we've there's been a lot of discussion about just quite how many batting options there are for England, and obviously the big test stars, uh, in particular the likes of uh, Root, Stokes, and Butler, all aren't in this, uh, and of course uh, Archer and Wood, all aren't involved in this series, but. 
you look at that England squad and it's still very strong. And even though it's sort of a partial second team, the likes of Phil Salt, who absolutely battered his way through the warm-up game for England A, they're not making it into the team. And you look at the whole squad now for England with a new... I think it's a, a, almost a post-World Cup confidence that I think for me as a, as a fan, I don't know if it borders an arrogance, but now England have officially won the World Cup and they were the best ODI side for the previous four years over that period, undoubtedly, particularly in the batting department. But now they've won the World Cup and that sort of rubber stamped that status, no matter how contentious the World Cup final victory was. You look at the England side and think this goes very, very deep and it's a truly excellent side, even when you get below the top level. And I think before the World Cup, we couldn't truly say that because as with every ODI side that England's ever had, we have never truly been able to say this is potentially the best in the world, but we've now rubber stamped that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you, I think if you looked at the side that played Ireland today, the, the 1.5s, as you call them, sort of rightly, that, that side is a match for most teams in world cricket across a 50-over format. You know, Tom Curran is, I think, he's a very talented cricketer and a very, and a very good bowler without being an outstanding bowler. David Willey, I mean, he will feel incredibly, I mean, he, he did feel incredibly hard done by to get dropped for... Archer, who'd not really played in an England shirt before the World Cup, he, he's come back and has essentially picked up where he left off. And he's a fantastic, you know, white ball threat, swinging it back to right-handers. Billings is a top-class player, proved that again today. He's done very well in the IPL. Banton, I mean, Christ alive, that boy is going places big time. I think England's strength and depth is, as you say, is something that I don't think we've ever had. Um, there are players that I don't think have even played white ball cricket yet for England that you would think in the coming years will surely get a gig. The likes of Dan Lawrence, Saki Mahmood played today. He looks a real prospect. It, it's never looked so rosy, I don't think, from an England white ball perspective. No, and I think this sudden confidence really is, is eight, as I said, is 18 months post-World Cup. But, I mean, it could slightly border on a bit of arrogance that we're like England are the best world uh, ODI side in the world, but... They're just beginning a new cycle. And obviously without these big, big, big name players in the form of, uh, of Root, Butler and Stokes in particular, then we begin to see these, these, these 1.5s actually come back to the fore. And the conversation sort of starts again with them because we're reminded as to what talented, uh, talented players they are. But I don't think even with the performances of Willie and Billings today, we should be tricked into thinking that just because we know they're good players means that they're actually good enough for this 11 because ultimately there's an extremely dense pool of talent. Yeah, and, and I, yeah, I definitely, I t- I definitely take that point. And as important as Billings' runs were today for him, I mean, what was it, 67 not out? It's his highest ODI score, which I couldn't really believe the talent of player that he is. But um, those runs, although important for him, I think actually bear very limited relevance to the likelihood of him being selected in the side when everyone's available. You know, he could, I mean, he would have to hit such a rich vein of form. And really, you know, these games against Ireland won't carry enough merit to, or enough weight to, you know, that, you know, they, they, it runs count sort of half at the moment against Ireland, you would say, really. So, yeah, look, this England batting depth that we've got in particular is quite astonishing, but I do agree that really and truly they're placeholders for the big guns when they come back as and when they do. 
And particularly those big guns are all middle-order batsmen, aren't they? We know where Butler and yeah. Stokes are going to come in. We know where Root's going to come in. And and each of them have been truly excellent in ODIs, perhaps, barring Stokes, more so than they have in tests in recent years. And I've yeah. written down, it's, it's not that these other players who potentially have the opportunity to play, that they're not being brought in from the cold as such, but this is an opportunity for them to plant a maybe little partial flag into the ground in this series. Yeah. I mean, a name that just came to my mind when you were speaking there with James Vince, I think is quite a good example of that. He's always been in and around the England setup. He's a heralded county player, you know, gorgeous cover driver. We know all of that. Similar with Billings, you know, we know what a talent he is. They, they, I think they got an opportunity to take a claim, but then at the same time, actually, I don't think they do. You know, I, I don't think it matters really. They can't score enough runs to usurp, um, to, to usurp the incumbents in the position, the Stokes, Butlers, you know, and Root. I, I just don't think that there aren't enough games, there aren't enough runs to be scored for them really to actually make a claim for a, a first 11 starting berth, really. So in the game itself, uh, Ireland, Ireland got to bat first and ultimately just it just never really gets going, primarily because of uh, one of these fringe men, David Willey. He didn't make the World Cup squad in the end and we know he's not quite at the same level as Archer and Wood and even if he has a fantastic series, uh, he's not going to replace them. But whenever he sort of plays, a lot, a lot of the time he just puts these reminders as to the quality of player that he is and and taking four wickets early on, that effectively won the game for England, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the game was the game was over really within the first however many overs. Um, Willie, I think Willie, Willie in white ball cricket reminds me a little bit of Wokes in the test side in that it doesn't really matter how well he plays. He'll never, he's not quite sexy enough, if you'd like, to like get the plaudits that he ultimately deserves. Like, Wokes Wok, got a fiver of it in the, in the last innings against the West Indies. Fantastic bowling performance. He's, you know, he's one of England. He's, I think it's only him both to have a uh, hundred and either a fiver or a temper at Lords. I can't remember. I think it was a temper. And yet we don't really speak about Wokes in the glowing terms that perhaps we should. I think that that can be said about Willie in the ODI side. You know, he, he never fails to perform. Um, he basically won the game in his first spell today. I don't know what more he really has to do to get the recognition that he ultimately, as I say, that he ultimately deserves. I, mean, I, think, I think you're over-egging him a little bit. Like, even if you just look at his raw stats, with the bat, he averages 18 in 47 matches, and with the ball... He averages just a touch under 34, which is obviously being massively boosted by taking a five for 30 against Ireland. Uh, it, it's in the it's in the T20s where he sort of is is the biggest impact with the ball in particular. But Willie's always going to be one of those players who is consistently on the, the fringes of the England side. And there was a discussion with uh, from Nick Knight, who asked a question of the pundits today after the game. England are building towards a, a new cycle, They're the start of a new cycle for the 2023 World Cup, and that's what they'll be building towards. And Nick Knight posed the question of, do they want to be giving these, uh, these older players the chances over the younger players with the idea that you need that balance between older and younger? I mean, David Willey will be about 33, 34 by the time the next World Cup com- uh, comes around. But it's whether you give the likes of him and Billings these chances now to continue onto the World Cup or you allow the new blood to 
to come in. It's finding that balance. But I think in the case of someone like Willie, if you bring him in and he plays well, then then great. You sort of keep him around the, the circle of players. But it's not necessarily that you have a player who's who's good, but he's never going to be as good as the other players. It's not that you have to take him out permanently and that's his international career over. Yeah, I think that's fair. And to be fair, I think you can look at Willie and think, well, actually, there's no reason why he wouldn't be around and still firing firing on all cylinders for the 2023 World Cup. If you look at, you know, Plunkett sort of had a bit of a um, a renaissance. You know, the twilight of his career was very, very strong. I don't know how old he was last year for the, for the 2019 World he's Cup. I can't 35. imagine. He's around 35, right? It illustrates the point. David Willey is a physically fit guy. His, his skills... You know, his main attribute actually isn't his pace, although he bowls at reasonable pace. His main attribute is his ability to swing the ball in both directions. You would presume he will still have that when he's 34. So actually, I think you can play Willie from the perspective of planning for the next World Cup and playing from a horses for courses perspective, especially in England. The second player who who is obviously part of the conversation as to players that have come in and they might not be potentially there for the long term, but they've had their chances and maybe not taken them all is Sam Billings. Now, he's had his chances in the past. As you said, he's his previous 16 ODIs, he's only averaged 22 and there's been a consistent thought amongst a lot of a lot of fans and a lot of uh, coaches and pundits that he's never quite lived up to the expectation that he potentially had to offer. But it's good to see that these players, good to see a player like him coming into this game and steadying the ship. Yeah, 100%. He, I remember when he, I think it was Rob Key that was talking about him when he was, a, he was a much younger man. It was a number of years ago now. Um, and I saw this footage of Billings and he looked absolutely devastating, destructive, not dissimilar to how Banton is now, but obviously Banton's got international exposure at a much younger age. I, th- I think Sam Billings is a very curious cricketer because he, I think his Red Bull form has sort of deserted him for Kent. I can't quite, I don't have the, the stats at the top of my head, at the top of my head. But he's been successful in franchise cricket around the world. And yet he hasn't quite been able to do it, you know, in an England shirt um, against the white ball. I do wonder whether there's an element of he's not quite afforded uh, the run of games and perhaps the batting position that he would want. Um, I think he's unquestionably a highly talented cricketer. He, he, it's curious. It's curious. It's not dissimilar to Butler against the Red Bull. You know, you can't quite tell why he hasn't got a stellar record. Um, he's not, he, I think he's 29. There's no reason why if he didn't hit a really nice run of form that he couldn't stake a claim for the side. As I said earlier, the difficulty for players like Billings is that he's essentially a very talented placeholder at the moment. And he probably knows that. And it, perhaps that's why his form isn't as strong as it, as it should be or as it could be. Well, Billings today making 67 not out. And I think it was interesting, his not, that we talk about Billings as a player who's potentially not lived up to his potential for England or, or, in, or for a lot of teams, in fact. But Ireland get England sort of four down for around 80 or 70. or I can't remember the exact, uh, the exact figure they were at. But Ireland suddenly come back to getting within a, in a sniff of maybe being able to turn the game, you think, right. I mean, there was part of me that was thinking, I, I want Ireland to win this series because just give me a bit of a bit of drama in these things. Like we look back on England being humiliated by, uh, by Kevin O'Brien and Netherlands in the past and 
it's not that I want to see England go back to those times because those were some dark ODI days indeed, but it just, <laughs> it just makes the cricket world a little bit more vibrant. And you think, oh, if, if Ireland can just get a little bit of a hold of, uh, of, this, uh, this, of this hold that they've got in the game, then and push it on, then we could be in for a really good finish. But it reminds you that when England are four down, Owen Morgan comes in. And then after that, yeah. it would be Moeen Ali. And there's a certain point at which you, you might get on a bit of a streak with Ireland, but that streak isn't necessarily going to last forever. And England are still going to keep bringing in a lot of fairly decent batsmen down the line. And ultimately, it's not going to last for you, which is, it was a real shame for the, for the contest. But Billings came in and made a very solid stand with the captain. And England's quality just ultimately, I don't have the... I don't have a fear that when they're four down, they're suddenly going to keep collapsing anymore because I know how deep that batting line is. Yeah, I mean, and that is one of the characteristics of this England white ball side that sets it apart from teams that have come before it is, as you say, once England are four down, they're, they're not, you're not really getting anywhere near the tail. They, I mean, if you look at the side today, who would you describe as proper tail enders. David Willey, I remember watching David Willey absolutely blast a T20. I can't remember what he got. And I think it was away at Derbyshire when he was playing for North Bands. He opened the batting. Absolutely flayed it everywhere. Tom Curran is a very capable batter. He is, but my point is he's by no means a tail ender in the traditional sense. Um, And so that, yeah, that batting depth does set this England side apart. I think going on to Ireland and the series as a whole... Let's face it, we've been starved of cricket for a very long time, but this series, I think, even in COVID conditions, only has a certain level of appeal. Obviously, that appeal would have been massively heightened had Ireland won today. Um, the interest in this series, I presume, the limited interest in this series, I presume, will only dwindle um, as England surely romp to a 3-0 victory. I guess the only interesting thing from a series perspective in terms of the narratives that could unfold is Curtis Camper, who I know we'll get on to, um, and England's young players. I mean, Saqib Mahmood bowled okay today. I think he got one wicket. Um, did he get one wicket? No, I think it was two. Yeah. Um, you got two. I like the look of him. He look, he looks quick through the air, even though sometimes the speed gun sort of says 82, 83. He looks absolutely rapid, and I really like his action. He's very exciting. So you've got, you know, you've got an, a young crop of England players coming through that I think create some interest in the series. But beyond that, it's hard to really get up for for the next two ODIs. And, you know, if Ireland had one today, it really would have changed that situation. We'd all be talking about the next game with some with some with some real interest. I'd be very happy to be proud of As I said, there was half of me that actually did want Ireland to win the test just because it, uh, not the test, uh, the, the the game, because it's a great story. But it's very unusual for England actually in given that ODIs naturally, in general, there's a better chance of the worst team winning than the better team on paper, just because you need one man to have one good innings and that can take you towards victory. But usually for England, you have the sense that the underdog is more likely to win the test against them than win the ODI. It's really strange because you look at this on paper and you think, oh, England could well just to quite simply go for a 3-0 victory in this. But like previous test series, West Indies win a test. Ireland nearly beat them in, uh, in their sole test against them at Lords last year. And, and it's, all been, it's all been flipped on its head. Yeah, I mean, and I guess that just speaks to 
the the arrogance with which the white ball team played, the ju- I think the justified arrogance of having insane batting depth and in, and in, and frankly insane talent throughout that batting lineup. England's Test batsmen don't have that same rich vein of talismanic, fantastic performances regularly. You know, we've got world class cricketers, but they don't necessarily have the recent history of success to back up. They're, 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 you know, to, to, to play with the necessary confidence that the that the, the, the White Bull team did. One player that did yeah. play very well was uh, Curtis Camphor. He was on his debut and it wasn't long ago that he was playing for South Africa under-19s and uh, he was very impressive, 59 not out. He was very impressive. He when It's funny, when he came to the crease, he looked like he couldn't quite believe he was there a little bit, I thought. Well, he came to the crease, I think the score was... I think it was when they were 28 for five, I think, um, might have been 28 for four. He immediately left a Rashid Googly that he just had not picked and it missed off stump by, you know, uh, a fraction. And I thought, hmm, this is not going to last very long. But credit to him, he really gusted out. And look, without his 59, without his contribution, we would have been talking about a far, far more, you know, a far duller. Uh, game and there wouldn't have been there wouldn't have been that um, glimmer of hope for Ireland when they got the ball in their hands. I thought he I thought he batted incredibly well. He played the ball very late, which perhaps is characteristic of someone coming from South Africa. But I think he you know you wonder whether if he plays really well he might regret, he might regret even you know ever deciding to play for Ireland because it, it may well be that he thought he could have got a gig in the South African team. But um, he looked very good. I, you know, ultimately, it's, I don't think he's going to make a blind bit of difference to the rest of this series, but he should take a lot of heart from scoring really gritty, you know, valuable runs against a very high-class attack. I think there's an extent yeah. to which him coming in with the score the way it was completely removed the pressure from him. You know, it, it, it but none of the other players seemed to, seemed to show that, did they? And, and they were in real danger of... of uh, potentially being out for a sort of humiliating sub-50 total at some point. And, and obviously, I think it should be pointed out, we're not, we're not sort of active followers of Irish cricket, and it may well be that Curtis Camphor never, ever hits a 50 in international cricket again, and he's mainly in there for his bowling, potentially. But it was a very assured and patient knock from a player coming in his debut in a very difficult position, and uh, and he and I think it was Balburnie or was it McBurney? Uh, sorry, McBrine. There's too many. There's too many things in the Irish side who yeah. managed to carry them to a really respectable total. And, uh, and he also took the wicket of Banton. So a good debut all round. And apparently you've had some sort of running with him in the past. Yeah. I, so I never. I met him a few times, but I did a. I did an exchange when I was still at school to St Stithian's College, which was his school in Johannesburg. Also, the school, interestingly, of Kahita Rabada. Although he wasn't there when I was there, he'd left the year before. But yeah, it was quite bizarre this morning, just uh, or this afternoon, sorry, putting the putting the game on, and and they said that there was a debutant called Curtis Cameron. Ah, that's strange. Truly, he was South African because that's where I was. But um, yeah, it was very bizarre. I can't say, you know, that I mean, my my claim to fame with regards to Curtis is limited to the to the fact that he played in a much better team than me and I met him on an, on very few occasions. I wouldn't describe I wouldn't describe our relationship as close. But who knows? Maybe we'll get him on. Maybe we'll get him on the pod while he, while he's here. Um, yeah, potentially because you seem to be on a mission to to alienate several uh, at least one uh, Irish international <laughs> who hopefully will come on in the future and uh, and you'll have to sort of either make amends or or fight it out. 
Uh, I, I was going to say, yeah, I might double down. Being, uh, of being, what was the word? Oh, I don't know. Oh, what did I accuse him of? Yes. Sheepish. 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 Yeah. I'd actually say Curtis Campbell looked a bit sheepish to start with in today. A good way. Well, no, no, no. I wouldn't say in a good way. I think he just, he just gutsed it out. He became less sheepish. He became more assured. I, he, he just looked like someone who thought, Christ alive, I am facing Adil Rashid at the Aegeus Bowl in an international game of cricket. Like, in front of no you know, one. Which, in front of no one. But it was, you know, I think um, it was it was heartening to see his his quite obvious vulnerability. But you know, it didn't it didn't hold him back. He it was a fantastic knock and one that I'm sure will be toasted by his family, presumably watching in South Africa slash maybe Ireland. So, in the words of David Bowie, who would be your star man for the game? It, I think it's got to be David Bowie. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it, it has to be. He, as we discussed, he essentially removed any semblance of a Irish possible win uh, in his first, in his opening spell. Um, he just did David Willey stuff. He ran up, he bowled eighty-two or eighty-three miles an hour. He swung it in. He just pushed the odd one away. He was very threatening. I did. I do think his dismissals. You know, the the the, the batsman he got out, Sterling, Balburnie gave it away a little bit. But then, arguably, they played the shots they did because he set them up the way he did. I thought he set up Balburnie excellently, swinging it back, swinging it back, and then just pushing one away that he that he nicked off. Um, so yeah, it's got to be David Willey for me. So England 1-0 up in the series with two to play. Uh, we'll be back with you later in the week for for the uh, for the second round of what will hopefully be, I don't know, maybe the Irish will have, uh, will have put some steroids in themselves before they step back into the ring for round two. But I'm sure, Max, you'll be off on another on another hangover uh, this week for the after the FA Cup final, whether it's uh, joy or, or sorrow, whatever source the tears come from. But hopefully... Are you about to join us again on Sunday for that? I'll be I'll be as sort of cerebral or not as I have been today. So look forward to some pretty, I don't know, run-of-the-mill and obvious insights from me on Saturday. Great. We'll see you then. Cheers. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs>